Welcome back, everyone, to On Campus with Miss T. I am your host, Miss T. And I'm your co-host, David. And today we are on episode eight, I believe. The Ocho. Ocho, right? Eight. And we, well, I, I guess, will be um, bringing up some frequently asked questions by parents. Um, there's only like three of them because I wanted to keep it short and... I couldn't really think of a whole lot anyways, but um, at least that would be relevant for, like, the times that we're going through right now. The coronavirus times? Yes. So, I just have three questions that I'm going to go over, but they are questions that I get a lot from families, and then the last one is just questions that I have gotten a lot this week from reaching out to families during these coronavirus times so yeah I guess let's dive in let's do it (laughs) um what questions do you think people would be asking I'm not sure legit ones but I thought (laughs) of like a funny one (laughs) oh god what is it (laughs) so I was like I don't know I could just like a picture some crazy like you know like some crazy conservative like super conservative family like will the virus make my kids gay or something oh my (laughs) gosh no but i have had parents ask me like like if i can keep their kids from playing with girl toys or if i can keep their kids male kids right from like wearing the girl costumes or playing with dolls or whatever and i'm like um no, <laughs> I well, can't do that. <laughs> oh, they want you to do it. Yeah, in the classroom. And I'm like, I, I can't tell them what they're allowed to play with or not. Like, we don't, um, I don't know, segregate toys or areas in the classroom by gender <laughs> so I, I cannot do that but yeah I have had parents ask me that I've also had parents ask me if I can hit their kids if they give me permission <laughs> and I'm like no I cannot do that either <laughs> yeah some of these kids need it but no <laughs> no they don't <laughs> but yeah I, I have gotten that question a lot um, but I kind of did some positive questions not the the kind of eyebrow raising questions i guess but first question is um this was a question that i had a coworker ask me which was pretty awesome and i i i personally take it as like a very high compliment when parents ask me for advice or for help on what they should be doing with their kids at home or like with their parenting, if that makes sense, because I don't have any kids of my own. (laughs) So it's kind of like you really trust me, like you really trust my opinion, I guess. Because like, okay, for me, at least it's taken a long time for me to like prove myself, I guess, because usually I'm the youngest person usually I'm the only one that's not married and doesn't have kids and so sometimes parents it's like hard for them to really trust that I know what I'm doing or that like or coworkers right to convince them that I I know 
How to handle how kids. To, yeah, exactly. So, um, I thought it was really awesome <laughs> when my coworker <laughs> asked me this, right? But um, she I was having a hard time, I guess, getting her kids to like be on a routine and like go to bed and stay in bed at a certain time. And um, she asked me like what she could do about it. And I have had that question come up a lot. And like, I think right now, especially establishing a routine or like a schedule within your household would be very important and also very tough at the same time because everything is so like not normal <laughs> if that makes sense like right now yeah okay. and well, right yeah. now in particular right and also there's a lot of stress and like I don't know it's just like I'm sure it's affecting the little ones too not just the older I feel like kids are probably just getting bored. Yeah, that too. But that's another reason that structure is so important. Um, one of like the kind of, it's like a rule of thumb or whatever with within classroom settings is that if they're bored, you're going to get a lot more unwanted behaviors than if they're engaged and actually like having fun and like doing something. So the big thing, at least in preschool classrooms, I don't, I don't really know that they really care I guess in K through 12 because it seems like a lot of activities are pretty boring in K through 12 settings um, right like homework or like sitting down and doing individual classwork or like watching a PowerPoint presentation like that's all pretty boring stuff but um, yeah so for us that's one of the main goals is to make sure that they're always engaged and always interested because it makes it easier for everyone right it keeps the classroom calmer it keeps everyone happier it's more manageable um blah 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 but anyways the answer to that question of what could she do to help her child get into like a sleeping pattern number one consistency right like you have to be consistent and one word that i kind of learned when i was going to school um that i hadn't heard I had never heard it used in that context I guess but what does fidelity mean to you yeah I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> fidelity for me I like I always knew it in the context of like relationships that right so when I heard it used in a classroom when they were talking about like um like research and like implementing um, strategies and all this stuff, I was like, what? But I guess fidelity is like implementing a strategy faithfully, like like actually sticking to everything that you're supposed to be doing and not like letting things slide or like, eh, I'm too lazy to do that, so I'm not going to do it today, right? So you have to stick with these routines or rituals or whatever it is that you're doing with fidelity. Like, it has to be the same. It has to be consistent every single time, no matter what. <laughs> whether you're tired, whether you've had a long day, whether they're being extra, like, active that day or whatever. Like, it has to be consistent and it has to be the same every single time. Or else it's not going to work. Right. For a certain age, right? So that's when they're little, you have to be... I would say especially when they're little, but I think yeah. that applies to any age, really. Because if 
a 17-year-old kid goes to mom and says, hey, mom, can I go out? And she says, no, you're not allowed to go out past 9 p.m. or whatever. But then she goes to dad and dad's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Then it's not going to work, right? That those rules are not going to be followed. So it's like everyone has to be on the same page. Everyone has to implement the same rules the same way every single time. I guess I meant more like, like if you're trying to get a kid on a sleeping schedule, you have to be more strict when they're younger, and then it'll just kind of get be easier. You don't have to be asterisk, like, oh, it's the weekend he can stay up late if he's like six or seven years old, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> My specialty is three to five. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't know about older kids, but I think it would work the same way. I I'm just saying it like my nephew, be... my personal experience. Like, yeah, like, because you could see, like, he was on a schedule, like, 8.30, he's in, he's in bed. Well, you should be able to get to a point where they just already know it and already do it without you having yeah. to say it. That's the whole point of being consistent. Well, now when they're that old, I think that, I guess it depends. I'm sure he still has a bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. But when I was there, <laughs> we stayed up pretty late watching movies, so. That's because you were not <laughs> following the rules. It was a weekend. Him. Yeah, well, we are ruining everything. Don't do that. I'm the cool uncle. <laughs> That's why you're his favorite. <laughs> they don't follow the rules. Anyways, yeah, so a way that you can implement a routine um, or a schedule for little ones, right, three to five is my specialty, I guess, my area of, of expertise, if you want to call it that. Um, visual schedules are really helpful. Um, so I set up my coworker with is just like um, like a folder, and it had like one, two, three, four, five, right? So it's like different steps. And then it's like one, and it was a visual of like a timer. So she's supposed to give her kid a warning. So like, okay, five minutes, in five minutes, we're gonna start getting ready for bed, right? So that mentally they start preparing for it. And then when you tell them it's time for bed, they can't be surprised because you already warned them, right? So there's a visual of a timer at the top. And then it's a visual of, like, whatever you want them to do next, right? Like brushing their teeth or something. So a visual of brushing their teeth. If you can get actual pictures of them doing it and then print it out and put it as a schedule, it's kind of better. Um, but if you just Google it, you can use random pictures, too. Why is a picture of them better? Because they see themselves doing it correctly. So then it kind of, like, reinforces it. That seems weird. I feel like a kid would want, like, to see a cartoon of it or something. I don't know. You could do that, too. But usually it's kind of like, like, you want to take pictures of them following the rules and, like, praise them and then put it on there. And then it's like, you see, you did it before. Like, you did a good job before. There's proof of it. There's a picture. You can do it again. Weird. Sounds weird, but it works. <laughs> I guess it works. <laughs> But, yeah, I'm sure there's, like, a whole psychology or whatever behind it, but I don't know. Details, I guess. Kids are conceited. They are. They're, they're very conceited. They're very selfish. They're very self-centered at that age. So usually you want to, you have to relate everything directly to them or else they don't, like, they don't connect to it. 
So even when you're like reading a book, you're supposed to directly relate it to them by asking them questions of like, like if you're reading a book about squirrels, like have you ever seen a squirrel? And then they start telling you all these stories like, I saw a squirrel the other day and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then they get into it. But if you just read a book about a squirrel, then they probably don't care about the squirrel. You know, they have to like relate to it to be interested in it. Interesting. But yeah, so visual schedule, um, and then just be consistent with it every single time. Always give the warnings. I feel like that's something people forget a lot. It's like they forget to give the warnings, so then they just go up to them like, okay, let's go brush your teeth. And then the kid is like, what, what? You didn't warn me? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and then you get like a tantrum or like, I don't know, crying or something, whatever. But yeah, so do that. Um, I also have people ask me like how to get them to sleep. Like, okay, they followed the whole schedule routine, now they're in bed, but they're not falling asleep. Like, you read five books all the way through, but they're still not sleepy. They're still not asleep, right? So what would you do in that situation? Give them Benadryl. <laughs> no, what is wrong with you? I don't know. You just got to tire them out. Put them on a treadmill the next day so they're tired. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that could help making sure that they're getting their physical activity in. But I would say do that early or in the day. Because I think when you exercise later in the day, it's kind of like energizes you, doesn't it? That's what they say, but... That happened to me last time. I was like not having trouble sleeping anymore. And then I did yoga at like 6 p.m. And then I couldn't sleep at all that day. And then I was like, what's happening? Remember? Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I, if you're doing the exercise thing, I would do it in the daytime. But anyways, um, there's like some, I guess, tips and tricks that I have picked up after getting kids to take nap times over the years, right? Um, so one thing that I would do, for you it'll probably be easier, you at home, listening because you would be doing this at home for me it was like in the classroom so it was like really uncomfortable and annoying but in the classroom we have cots right that are on the floor and so we would there would be like three of us going around the classroom trying to get each kid to fall asleep um so what i would do is i would like kind of lay down next to them but on the floor not on their cot right and like lean my head like on my arm and then tell them a story about themselves that's completely made up. Don't read a book. Because if you're reading a book, if they're going to be super engaged with the story, then they're going to just be asking questions and talking and like laughing and doing all sorts of stuff, right? So you don't want them to actually engage with whatever story it is that you're reading. And then also books are usually really short if you don't have them engaging and talking. So if you're gonna read a book all the way through without any interruptions, it's gonna be like five minutes. <laughs> and that's not enough time for them to go to sleep. And then at the end of the book, it's just kind of like, uh, okay, go to sleep. Like there's nothing else to do other than maybe pick up another book or something, right? So if you make up a story, you can keep making up that story for as long as they need until they fall asleep. Like, there's not a time 
limit on that, if that makes sense. So what I would do is I would lay down next to them and I would make up a story about them, right? So that they're like already, like right away, invested and interested because it's about them. Like we said, they're selfish, right? <coughs> so I would make up a story about them and then just as long as it takes, right? Just keep talking and making up stuff as long as it takes. Um, but what can you, I guess, because you don't want to be engaged, so how do you? You establish that ahead of time. So set up the nap time expectations. Before you do anything with any child, any activity, you should be setting up the expectations before they actually start doing that activity. So before nap time, you talk about what happens at nap, at nap time, right? So at nap time, we're not talking. At nap time, we're closing our eyes. At nap time, we're resting our bodies. At nap time, whatever, right? Whatever it is that you want to do at nap time. So they already know that they're not supposed to be talking anyways, right? So then you probably would just have to remind them like, okay, shh, like just listen, just listen. Um, obviously use a calm voice, soft voice, quiet voice. Um, but it doesn't matter. You could say like, oh, you were fighting 10 dragons. Yeah, it can be interesting. Um, okay, that's what I'm saying. Like you don't like, I guess, I was just wondering if like you can't say certain things so then I go, like wired up, yeah, ten dragons, and start going crazy. Yeah, well, don't say it like that. That's what I'm saying. You have to keep a calm voice. If you're saying they fought ten dragons and blah blah blah, then they probably won't get hyped up. But if you're hyping it up, they're gonna get hyped up. That's another thing, right? Like, they mimic you. So like whatever energy you're projecting, whatever like energy or whatever your face is like displaying or your body language is displaying that's how they're gonna feel like they pick up on it right so another thing that i would do was that i would make myself look sleepy so like throughout the story like my eyes would like look like they were getting super heavy or like I would yawn and then eventually after a while they would yawn too after like the fourth time that I yawn mm. you know or like they start looking another thing is like um like FOMO right like they're afraid of falling asleep because you're still going to be awake and they think they're going to be missing out on the fun if they fall asleep because some people are still going to be awake and doing cool stuff so if they think that you're gonna fall asleep too then it's like okay well if everyone's falling asleep then I might as well fall asleep too because I'm not gonna miss out on anything so sometimes even like close your eyes even if they're not asleep yet and just obviously make sure you're still kind of like supervising you know what I mean like 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 pretend kind of yeah yeah um so that it looks like you're f actually falling asleep or it looks like you're actually tired and then they'll start like picking up that vibe too right that energy too and they'll start getting sleepy um another thing is like soothing touches so like i think the common thing is like rubbing their backs or rubbing their tummies but that doesn't always work so you kind of have to see what works for your kid um 
So usually what I've noticed, and this is all anecdotal, right? There's no actual like research that I'm basing this off of, right? Just like my own experiences. But um, usually the kids with higher energy levels, right? The ones that are like really restless and don't like you, everyone thinks like that kid isn't gonna take a nap, right? Instead of rubbing their tummies or rubbing their backs, I would pat them. Like, like, pat their stomachs, pat their backs, whatever. And usually, like, I don't know why, but I feel like the, like the sound and, like, the, the actual impact of it, it's almost like their wiggles get channeled into that action if that makes any sense and so then their bodies start to calm down as long as you're still like having that high energy pats instead of the low energy rubbing weird it just depends on yeah and then sometimes there's some kids that like their bodies are calm but they just like are not closing their eyes and so for that, I would usually like rub their face, like like swipe my whole hand across, like starting from their forehead down to their nose. And it usually kind of forces them just like by reflex or whatever to close their eyes because you're getting so close to their eyes. And so then like you just keep doing that and keep doing that and like they keep closing their eyes and it just kind of gives them that opportunity to have their eyes closed. And eventually it's kind of like they just slowly end up keeping their eyes closed at some point. Um, yeah, so that's a couple of things I guess that I've picked up over the years. Also soothing music, obviously. Um, playing like calming music, even for me. <laughs> I usually do that when I can't sleep. And it has to be like familiar, so that's another thing with consistency make it like the same music every single time so that they're already familiar with it. It just kind of becomes like background noise. It's not like they're actually actively like listening to it, it I sense. guess. And then it tricks their brain like, hey, it's just sleepy music. Yeah, and then yeah, it's another like like indicator, right? It's like like the five minute warning, but like subliminally in their brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, those are some things you can do if you're having a hard time getting your kid to sleep or stay asleep. Um, another question that I've been asked before is, um, I had a parent come up to me and say, you know, I was raised by like the fist and the belt, right? Like that's how I was raised. Like, like I've never known anything else. And now that I'm older and I've made mistakes like I realized that that's not the right way to do things but I don't know any other way so like how am I supposed to like correct my kids when they're not listening right so what would you say to that um, you just always say to hit them so <laughs> <laughs> But no, you should, like, it's just discipline. You got to take things away. Even time out. Kids don't like time out. You don't have to do any of that, though. The discipline? Mm-hmm. 
What do you do then? <laughs> um, it's probably not the easiest route. Probably hitting them or timeouts are probably the easiest route, right? Um, maybe as they get older, I don't know if it's different, right? I Like I said, I, I deal with three to five-year-olds, so I don't know if maybe when they're older, all you can do is take their stuff away. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they respond to at that age, right? But for three to five-year-olds, it's just, like I said, setting up those expectations ahead of time and then keeping in mind that not all kids learn the same way, so not just telling them the expectations, but visually showing them the expectations, modeling the expectations for them, giving them opportunities to practice being successful at those expectations and praising them heavily for it, giving them that attention that those little self-centered, selfish children crave 24-7, right? Um, and then, and then, like, putting them out there and letting them sink or swim type of thing. And then just reminding them. A lot of the times it's that attention that they want. So when they have successes, it's important to acknowledge those successes. Like, not every single time, but probably pretty close to every single time if that makes sense. I feel like a lot of the time people, like if a kid is doing things right, you just kind of like, like you don't pay attention to them as much because you don't have to. Yeah, because they're a good kid. Usually, like, oh, he's fine. Yeah, but you should be still praising them um, and acknowledging that because then they're like, okay, well, why the hell am I doing this? Like, nobody even cares. <laughs> um, and I've seen that happen in my classroom because I'm like over here putting out all these fires and then I forget about the good kids and then the good kids start to mimic all the bad behaviors because they're like okay well all the bad kids are the ones that are getting that are getting all of the attention so maybe I'm going to do bad stuff too and then I'm like no oh. <laughs> right so it's important to make sure that you're acknowledging their successes and that you're praising them and giving them that attention for those successes um, and not just giving them a whole bunch of attention when they're doing something wrong so that's one thing. Um, also offering as much independence as possible. And part of that is teaching them the correct thing to do, not just telling them what not to do, right? And I think we've kind of gone over that in the past. Like when you talk to them, tell them what to do, not what not to do. Um, so that they can just kind of do that on their own, but also offering them choices for when they become upset. So, like, if they are having a tantrum, instead of you just, like, yelling at them or punishing them, kind of teach them how to calm themselves down so that you can then kind of, like, reason with them. Because when they're in that state of mind where they're just, like, yelling and screaming and hating you, they're not going to listen to what you're trying to say. So, um teach them when they're already in a calm, regular state of mind, like, okay, well, when we get upset, like, we have these three choices or something. How do you get them there, though? What do you mean? Like, how do you get a kid for stopping being angry? That's what I'm saying right now. Oh. 
<laughs> so before, when they're not angry, when they're just in a normal state of mind, like any time of the day, at breakfast, right? They're just normal, like nothing has happened, nothing has triggered them, they're just like in a calm, normal state of mind. You provide visuals, right? So you offer them like three or four choices of things that they can do when they're upset. And then you make those visuals accessible to them so that when they are upset, they can choose one of those things, go do one of those things, and then once they've calmed down, you can kind of regroup. But you, it's really, really important to teach those things ahead of time when they're calm. Because once they're already angry and upset, they're not going to listen to you at all, right? So that's why, like, the visuals, providing those visuals for them to actually just grab it without saying anything and go do it is important, too. Because they're probably not going to want to talk to you. They're probably just going to be crying and yelling. And hopefully they're not that bad, right? But, like, throwing stuff or, like, trying to bite you or something, right? So just putting the pictures in front of them and saying, okay, you can color a picture, you can go to the calm down area um, and just sit down and have some alone time, you can squeeze a pillow, you can um, do your calming breaths, right? You can do yoga, you can do whatever, offering them those choices and giving them that it's like you're like empowering them, right? You're giving them the power and the control for them to handle that situation instead of you just like telling them they were wrong and like you trying to control them, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's kind of weird. What's weird about it? I don't know. I guess it doesn't seem like any form of punishment. It's just like, I'll go do this instead. And then come back and we'll talk. Yeah, it's not punishment. It's teaching. <laughs> and it's like actual long-lasting strategies that they can use. Because when they're older and they make a mistake, there's not going to be someone to, like, slap yeah. them in the face and tell them that they're wrong or, like... I don't know, but it still seems like... Like you said, like squeeze a pillow. Yeah, you can do that as an adult. That's a healthy, like, Are they coping gonna up technique. And punch a walls instead. Yeah, the point is to not let them be in that place, right? To give them safe, healthier alternatives of what they can do to calm themselves down. And also to teach them what's the correct thing to do. Instead of just teaching them that they were wrong. And it's also like validating their feelings, validating like, I don't know, you get me? Like, it's not like... It... I don't want to seem like racist here, but it sounds like very like white parenting. And then there's always those jokes like, oh, white parent, they don't do anything to their kid. That's why they're like that. It's not what I would consider, I guess, the stereotypical white parenting, because usually that's like very passive aggressive and like nothing really gets done. 
the point is that there are rules. You're still enforcing them, right? But you're just also validating their emotions, giving them the power to be in control in that situation instead of them feeling like they're completely out of control and they don't know what to do. And you're just, like, hitting them or yelling at them. <laughs> when they don't understand, like, what's going on because you're not teaching them what's going on. And it's also giving them tools that they can take with them forever on how to deal with situations. I don't know. It's, it's a very different... I guess because it's like we know that Hispanic culture, right? So mm -hmm. it's none of that. Yeah, no, nope, definitely not. It's not what happened in my household when I did something wrong. <laughs> That's for sure. So it's just like it's very weird. <laughs> yeah, but trust me, it works. And you see, like you know, the classrooms that I've worked in, and you know how I've turned those classrooms around. Right. But see, I so wonder like if it's like, is that like a teacher strategy or is that like a parent? Is it different from parenting? You get me? Like, it's something that I think was probably developed for teachers and researched and proven. Like, it's evidence based strategies that they have come up with for classrooms. But it's obviously something that anyone can use in any situation, really. You know? Yeah, I guess. But, of course, for classrooms, it's kind of like... It's more complicated because you're limited by what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do, right? Um, like timeouts. I'm not allowed to do timeouts with kids because it's, it's been proven to like not really be effective and it's also been proven to kind of be traumatic. So we're not allowed to do that. Um, and then we're... We're also managing 20 kids at the same time, so we can't always do like that one-on-one -on -one attention for kids, which means that we have to empower them so that they can solve their own problems and be independent, right? But I would assume that any parent would want their kid to be independent so that they don't always have to be like dealing with them, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it would make your life easier, I would think, as a parent, if your kid is independent and taking care of their own problems instead of always coming to you for everything. Um, I would. Because it is really annoying at the beginning of the year when it's kind of like baby steps. So you, first you teach them to... Um, to like identify that there is a problem, then you teach them to like come to you for help, and then you teach them to start helping themselves, right? That's how we do it in the classroom. So it is really annoying at the beginning of the year when they just keep coming to you for help, and you're like, oh my god, go away, <laughs> help yourself, like just solve it on your own. But yeah, anyways, the last question was um, something more relevant to what we're dealing with today, right? Which is, how do I talk to my child about the outbreak? The coronavirus outbreak. Just tell them what it is. It's a sickness. Yeah, you can. Um, I would say be honest, but obviously not extremely detailed. <laughs> be positive, 
but honest. <laughs> yeah, like your grandma right now. No. <laughs> um, there's actually um, a social story that was put out. It's on mindheart.co, um, and it's called Covey Book. And it's in multiple languages, so if you need it in multiple languages or if you know someone that might need it that doesn't speak English or whatever, it's in multiple languages. Um, and it's just like a book about the virus and it kind of explains what the virus is and it explains like um like what it does to your body kind of not super detailed obviously because it's for young preschoolers right um but it kind of explains it so that they know what it is and what's going on but without it being like super scary so that they get anxious or like worried and stressed out or whatever right um, and then it has a little activity about, like, how they're feeling, and they can draw a picture of, like, how they're feeling about it or whatever. Um, yeah, so if you need a way to talk to your kids about the outbreak, I would recommend checking that book out. What's it? It's um, mindheart.co, and the book is Covey Book. Yeah, but I would say the main thing is just, like, listen to them. Right? Like, listen to their feelings, listen to their questions, listen to their opinions. Don't, like, dismiss them or, like, I don't know, tell them to just think about something else because, of course, they're not going to be able to um, relate to them even. If, like, the kids sometimes at work, it's, like, fire drills or something, like, they get really scared. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I used to be really scared, too, of the fire drills. But now I understand that we have to practice the fire drills so that if something does happen, like, we can be prepared and we'll know what to do. And that way we won't be so scared anymore, right? So you have to, like, relate to them so that they don't feel like they're, like, they're, I don't know, they're alone or, like, they're... Like, their feelings are not normal, <laughs> right? So, like, relate to them. Um, you can introduce coping strategies, like I said before, like um, exercising to de-stress or doing breathing exercises, yoga, doing art, um, journaling if they're old enough to write, um, and then doing all of those schedules and routines throughout your day really makes them feel like they're safe and secure and, like, like, it's just, like, that consistency and predictability that makes them feel like they know, like, they're in control of what's happening in their life. And so it's, it usually relieves a lot of stress. So if you can do that in your household, especially now that they're not in school anymore, because usually schools and classrooms are very structured, so now they're kind of, like probably freaking out because there's not a lot of structure happening. Um, yeah, they're probably bored. Yeah, that too. It's also a lot easier to break down the day and keep them occupied if you have different activities scheduled out and then they get used to those time frames and they get used to like what's coming next and everything. So yeah, it's kind of easier to break down the day that way too so that they're not bored. Um, reducing the amount of exposure that they have to the outbreak, like news of the outbreak, right? So like probably not watching the news like five times a day about updates on the coronavirus outbreak and stuff like limiting the exposure to that would be good too and of course if you feel like they're really really having a hard time it's always a good idea to seek out professional help when needed 
there's a lot of places that will do like family counseling or that will do children counseling, child counseling. I don't know what that would be called. But yeah, that's pretty much all I have for today, I guess. If you think of a question that you would want to ask me or David, I guess. <laughs> I don't know anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot of stuff. Maybe not necessarily about preschoolers, but you know a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, if it's preschoolers, you have to ask her. <laughs> but, yeah, if you have any other questions or anything, um, you can contact us through our social media pages. We have an Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter, all with the name On Campus with Miss T. You can reach us through there or, I think, on certain streaming platforms for the, um, the podcast. You can leave comments directly on there. Um, I think for CastBox, you can leave comments directly yeah. on there. I don't know about Spotify or iHeartRadio no, or Apple Podcasts. I don't think so. But, yeah, so you can, if you're listening through CastBox, you can leave comments directly on there for us. Or, yeah, I don't know. Um, I would say there's videos on YouTube for things to do with your kids. Oh, yeah, we put videos on YouTube of... Um, activity ideas that you can do with your kids at home during this time. I'm also going to put one up um, probably by the time that you listen to this, it'll already be up. A video about um, kind of adding some structure to your household so that it kind of mimics a classroom in a way, but adapting it to your home setting um, to add that um, predictability and consistency that I had mentioned before that makes kids feel a lot safer and in control. Um, so you can check that out as well on our YouTube channel. And that's, again, under the name On Campus with Miss T. We will also be posting the videos in Spanish soon. So if you know someone who only speaks Spanish, they can check that out soon. Anything yeah. you want to add? No. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that we didn't bore you. <laughs> David looks like he's half asleep right now. I'm tired. <laughs> he's like, no help. You're supposed to be, like, adding to these things so that I'm not just talking to myself for an hour. Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Yeah, thank you. Bye.